This is Patty Davis. I'm a psychic intuitive and medium coming to you from Humboldt County in Northern California. And I'm Judea, a psychic intuitive energy healer coming to you from the island of Kauai. And together we are Spirit Speakers Podcast, where we meet to discuss a variety of topics from two different psychic vantage points. Hi, and welcome to our episode on gods and goddesses. We are going to be discussing these deities, these auspicious supreme beings that have divine status, sacred gods and goddesses, our experiences with them, what they stand for, and how to invoke and connect with them. What's interesting about these archetypes is that oftentimes the same type of god or goddess is portrayed through many different cultures and religions but just with different names. For instance, if we look at goddesses of fertility, we find Venus in Roman mythology. The Aztecs use Chimala. We have Oshun in Africa and Hathor in Egypt. And Jude and I are going to be talking about the goddesses that we personally work with, but it might be interesting to recognize those virtues in another goddess or god that you might feel a little more connected with. We can call on these deities to um, assist us with what we have going on in our life. They can work as little helpers behind the scenes, somewhat similarly to our spirit guides, but a little bit differently, and we'll be talking about that. So we're also going to be discussing how to invoke them and how to utilize them. Jude, anything you'd like to add there? Hi, Patty. Hi, Jude. All right, so I just want to start off by saying that I may or may not be pronouncing deities or deities correctly. I tend to say deities, so I apologize in advance. Um, in my perception of how I view gods and goddesses through my experience, the best way I define them is that I see them as these sort of very advanced supernatural spirits from higher dimensional planes who incarnated as divine beings on earth at some point in time in our history. And this is how a lot of our cultures around the world have these descriptions and stories of these beings that maybe once existed on the earthly plane. So beyond their physical manifestation, they are this sort of really intelligent, wise, profound energy that we can connect with and we can communicate with. And yes, maybe they have special powers or they can introduce a certain frequency into our lives to bring us blessings or protection or healing or all kinds of things. This is what I understand these beings to be and why it is that I think there's relevance in intentionally connecting with them and working with them as spiritual allies. You know, this might be controversial, but you know, Christ, the Christ figure to me, or archangels, these are also supernatural, higher dimensional beings that we are connecting with and asking favors of, or making these deep bonds with to feel more safe and secure as we move throughout our life. And this is sort of another aspect of what we're talking about, about being able to connect with and formulate these relationships with these higher divine beings. Now, I have some very specific deities that I work with, and I know Patty and I have some that are similar, and she has ones that she works with that I'm not really connected with. But one of the points that she made, which is very interesting, and I see this all across the board all over the world, is that a lot of these deities that we might be connecting with in one culture are actually almost directly reflective or mirroring another deity that exists from another culture all the way across the world. 
And isn't it interesting that somebody on the Western Hemisphere or the Eastern Hemisphere will describe, for example, a deity of love or abundance or fertility, and they will have very much the same and similar attributes across the board, even though those two cultures are totally unrelated and oceans away from each other. So a lot of the times when we are connecting with one god or goddess of a specific culture, there's almost like an umbrella energy that goes beyond the definition of what one culture says that energy represents for them, whether it be like physical attributes or specific storylines around that deity. These gods and goddesses might bring a certain energy such as good luck, good fortune, removing obstacles, overcoming fear, overcoming death, deep healing, forgiveness, compassion, and beyond the finite details of what these specific gods and goddesses can bring us, there's almost like this bigger, more refined energy attached to these supernatural and divine beings the further up you go and get closer to source. I theorize, now this is just a theory and this is not something that I've read or picked up anywhere else, just based on having read so many people from around the world, from all different cultural backgrounds, from all different spiritual walks of life, So my theory is this, if you think of source as the one supreme, all-encompassing energy consciousness that incorporates everything in our existence, all the dark, all the light, and everything in between, that it is the all one, it is everything, that means that we all come from source. And every time source breaks itself down into sort of like these more individualized versions of itself. And then they keep breaking down and breaking down and breaking down. And if you think of this whole system as like this pyramid and the top of the pyramid being source, every time source breaks itself down or splits off into more minute fractions of itself, the conscious awareness becomes further separated from source consciousness, meaning like the further down we get broken down the less and less aware we are that we are in fact source, the further this memory or this knowing gets from us. So if all of us have broken down in this like sort of pyramid chain all the way down to who we are as normal people, if we start backtracking the journey of our spirit back to source, we may find that we align with very specific higher energies, like maybe specific gods or goddesses or angels. I almost call it like being in the tribe of Kali or being in the tribe of Buddha or being in the tribe of Isis. There are certain souls that throughout the history of their soul's journey tend to resonate more with specific deities. And the closer they get back to that source one consciousness, the more awoken they become to what lineage or what tribe, what pathway with these specific higher beings that they come from. And somewhere along the line, I've also noticed that some people cross like Patty and I are both very much into Kali. We both resonate with her energy very strongly. She's a big and potent part of our everyday realities. She also has deities that she works with. I have ones that I resonate with, but the further back we go and the more in alignment with our highest, most divine expression we become, the more we all sort of merge into the wholeness of the one divine source consciousness. So I hope you can understand how I see that. And like I said, I just theorize this, but the further down we break down the line, the more expansive and more separate we become. And this is where we are here on the earthly plane, all thinking that we're all totally different and separate from each other. But 
through our consciousness and our spiritual awakening, we remember more and more of our true divinity, which is bringing us back to source. And the further we go, the more we realize that we are, we are embodiments of source. We are embodiments of these deities. We are gods and goddesses walking amongst the earth. And I don't mean to say this in this like egoic sense that like, oh, we're all just gods and goddesses and we're all mighty and superior. It's just recognizing that this divinity resides within us, that we are this divinity. We are expressions of these beings and energies here to create magic and healing and lift in the world and to help us all assist each other to journeying back to the higher truth of our unified oneness, okay? We all have this quality of being empowered and enlightened in this way, but vibrationally, we're so far away from it. It's hard to hold on to it. We might have these moments, these glimpses and these windows into these this knowing and these revelations about ourselves. but it's unrealistic to think we're going to hold on to it in every moment of every day. Um, but once you've tasted that, once you've understood this little piece of yourself, it opens things up in this way for you to be able to observe the world around you with a greater sense of compassion, because every time you're seeing somebody, it's a reflection of you. <laughs> and the higher up in that awareness you get, you know, you just can't help but have compassion, especially in the face of somebody who's really pissing you off. You know, you got to kind of pause for a moment and be like, huh, well, that's just an aspect of me challenging myself for a greater lesson. And um, when you have that awareness, you learn your lessons faster and you ascend up this ladder to enlightenment quicker and come back to this knowing that you are God. Okay. And so these like sort of subcategories of these deities are just sort of fractioned off beings of source that are just more concentrated than these many, many fractured off pieces of our individual souls that we are experiencing right now, that we are just all separate. Because if we are all one and we are all source, we are all each other. We've all shared the same experiences. This also explains why so many people have this memory of being Christ or memory of being famous people like Marilyn Monroe, or so many people feel like they've been Cleopatra, or so many people feel like they are Mary Magdalene incarnate. And I don't doubt that that's true. If I meet multiple people, I'm like, sure, absolutely. You know, absolutely. If you have that memory, if you have reached that level of awareness in self, you're just that much further up the chain to remembering that you are actually source, that you're actually everybody. So this also is why when we've talked about in other episodes that I feel that we can share souls with other people is because the further up we get into our conscious awareness, the more we realize that we are sort of threaded from the same source point, you know, but the further we separate ourselves out and the further away we get from knowing that the more of us there are, right? So that's how I see it. So as we go into this conversation, you know, I will be talking about how I really feel like I am an expression of certain goddess energies. And I am actually in the work that I do always trying to help people rediscover that in themselves. I might not always mention it to every client, you know, right away, but maybe there's some layers, some blocks that we need to move through to reveal people's higher light. And when that's ready to be said, you know, they have to be ready to accept that they are divine. And when they are ready to accept it, they can start reconnecting with these different deities, gods and goddesses that are there as really potent allies for each individual person. Having said that, Patty, do you want to share some of the goddesses that you really resonate with and how they support you? 
Wow, Jude, that was so good. I, I kind of don't know that we need to continue on anymore in this episode. <laughs> but one thing I wanted to add before I go into some of the specific goddesses, while you were talking, I am a firm believer, and I believe you are too, that energy manifests physically. And energy such as negativity or drama, it can manifest sometimes into an entity or an attachment or a dark cloud hanging over someone. So I feel that these energies aren't always separate from someone, that sometimes our emotional state or our shadow, what we're going through can manifest into these. And I kind of feel the same way about gods and goddesses. If we are really manifesting something specific or working on a, a moral issue or a value and really putting energy into something or trying to connect with the energies of something, I feel like we can manifest a goddess or a God just as easily as we can manifest an entity or something negative. So I feel like sometimes some of these things that we are searching for and craving manifest into an identity such as a God or goddess. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And I think when we are aligning ourselves to a certain frequency, we ourselves become the portal for these energies to move mm. through. Just as we're calling upon healing light, or if we're trying to invoke a muse for a creative project, we can call upon these you know, supernatural beings from these higher dimensional planes that we have been told about throughout our history and they will carry some energy and we will become a portal for that. And we will be able to express the energy out. So, yeah, I absolutely believe that just in the same way that we can be hateful, vindictive, nasty people and just call darkness and chaos into our realities. Yeah. I agree. And it's also interesting that a lot of deities have a lighter aspect and a darker aspect. They have a lot of positive healing, loving energy, but some of them have some pretty dark negative energies as well. So I believe that we can manifest different aspects of a specific God or goddess or be a portal to the specific energies from them as well. Every color has its role. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like a lot of people immediately want to be like, oh, well, darkness and shadow and evil, and this is all bad. It's bad. And we want to deny it and push it away, push it away. And there's so much to be learned from that shadow aspect. And there's so much wisdom to be gained from not pushing it away. You know, Kali, for example, is one of these goddesses that for those who are not familiar, she's black, like black as night or very, very dark, dark blue skinned. She's sticking out her tongue. She's wearing a necklace full of human heads. And she has like severed off arms as a skirt. And she's sort of like in this constant hiss with her eyeballs bulging out of her head. And anybody who sees this picture immediately, not knowing anything about what she represents or why she looks like that is going to be like, what kind of demon are you like connecting with? She actually is the consort or, you know, the wife of another deity who is Shiva. She's the aspect of the divine feminine where Shiva was like the masculine. And if you can think of Shiva as like this aspect of all divine masculine, he had a consort called Durga, who is like an aspect of all the divine feminine. And what happened in the story of Kali's creation is that there was this terrible demon and the curse on the demon was that no man could destroy this demon. So all of the gods got together and they created Durga and they each gave a weapon and created and birthed this divine feminine because a female entity would be the one that would be able to destroy 
this demon. And the demon, anytime it would be attacked, every drop of blood that would fall on the ground would turn into another demon. So they couldn't slay it. They couldn't slash it. They didn't know how to defeat it. Now, Durga, first of all, Durga is this beautiful, beautiful goddess of light. And she's she's just gorgeous. She looks like any goddess, princess, queen, and the embodiment of beauty. Well, what she did was she rolled out her tongue underneath this demon and then slayed it with all of her swords and all of her weapons. And because she laid out her tongue, the blood was not able to fall on the ground. So it was not able to create all these extra demons. And she swallowed all the blood and defeated the demon. Well, what happened was the poisonous blood of the demon made her go mad and she went crazy and she went running through the universe, cutting off the heads and arms and limbs of man and creating these necklaces and these, and this skirt and these clothing. And she went totally crazy and wreaked havoc in the world. And then Shiva eventually had to find her and soothe her by making love to her. And after making love to her, she was able to calm down and turn back into Durga. So when we are calling upon Kali's energy, we are calling upon the aspect of the divine feminine. And in her form, Durga is very soft and nurturing and sweet. But as Kali, she can be like a fierce bitch. She can be like like a warrior goddess, like going to slay through the darkness. Sometimes we need to call upon that really intense aspect of ourselves to push back against something that's, that's dark, that's not correct, that's not right. And so that's where this Kali energy comes in. She's very fierce and super intense, but she's a slayer of demons. Whether or not you want to believe that that story actually happened, it helps you understand these shadow aspects that might be intimidating or scary, but really see for the greater good of humanity and mankind. You know, Kali's not for everybody, but I really resonate with her energy. I have her tattooed on my body and she's like plastered all over everything in my house. Uh, uh, but if you know me personally, it makes sense. Everybody who knows me is like, oh yeah, Kali is definitely your energy. And uh, you, you tend to gravitate more towards Durga, am I correct? Or do you also have that same potent sense with Kali? It depends on what's going on, on who I will, will lean on a little bit more. Thank you for sharing that story. I wanted to talk a little bit more about Durga. So Durga is the epitome of feminine power and strength. And yes, but she's sweet. She's also the divine protector and the seeker of truth. And she will be really helpful and accommodating to people that are on that path that are seeking honesty and truth, but she will be a destroyer to those that lie. So while Kali is more of that aggressive aspect of, of Durga's anger and her losing control, Durga herself can be a little bit dark at the same time. She's the sustainer of cosmic balance and peacekeeping, but she uses weapons to find peace. So she, again, she can be kind of unrelenting and, and tenacious and absolute and disciplined, and she helps people feel empowered as well as Kali does. So where Durga stands for invincibility, Kali is more like annihilation. One of the ways that you can tell the difference between them when you see them is they're both Hindu goddesses, by the way. Durga tends to be a beautiful goddess, like Jude mentioned, but she rides on a lion or a tiger. 
She has eight arms, eight hands, and she carries weapons in all eight of her hands. She also usually has a conch shell, which represents finding happiness, and then also holds on to a lotus flower. And you can invoke her when you need to control your anger, your jealousy, your greed, your selfishness. When Kali is a little too much or a little out of balance, you can call in Durga to help balance that. You can also invoke her to help you find empowerment and to help protect you from evil and pain and suffering. She's a great protector. Now, when we skip over to Kali, she's the super dynamic, fierce, terrifying, raw energy, but she's also considered the divine mother. And just like a mother can be nurturing and sweet and kind, but can also sometimes lose her shit and has to, you know, keep you on the right path. She's the same as that. And she can be Kali or she can transfer into Kali Ma. Kali Ma tends to be more of that mothering side of her. That's a little more nurturing and a little more accepting. And while they are both called the black one or have blue or black skin, Kali Ma tends to have 10 arms where Kali tends to have four arms. So when you see them depicted, that's a way to kind of tell the difference because a lot of times they look the same. And if you go in and Google, you will oftentimes stumble upon some contradictory information. And I have a real good friend that is from India. And so I text her and she kind of gets, keeps me straight and helps me realize what's going on. So some of the reasons why you would want to invoke, utilize, or call in Kali is when, again, you need self-empowerment or self-love. You're looking for strength. You want to bring the darkness into the light. She helps us connect with our shadow self, but have a better understanding and acceptance of it. She's great to help you overcome fear or anxiety, to keep your ego in check, to help rise above abuse or abusive cycles, situations, or traumas. She helps us find strength in times when we feel the most vulnerable. She helps us overcome phobias, tap into our personal power and feel protected. And she helps us get shit done. Like when you are just at your wits end and you're over it, you don't want to move into anything slowly and gently. You just are ready to cut it or take care of it. This is when you call her in. She's the goddess that will burn the entire field down in order to fertilize it so that the new seeds can come up and there can be that rebirth. Now, some of the ways we can invoke her is simply with any god or goddess, we just want to invite them in or speak their name and sit in meditation. And like Jude was saying, bring our vibration up and try to connect with them and actually be a portal for them. She um, resonates with the color black. So black candles, um, putting out photos of her, daggers, swords, knives, that type of thing on an altar, bringing that out. Um, the stones that she is in alignment with are black tourmaline, onyx, obsidian, smoky quartz, and the essential oils are ylang-ylang and jasmine. Now, another way to call in deities is with mantras. Now, when we speak a mantra or chant a mantra, we are adding that vibrational quality that's radiating out in sound waves and going out into the universe. And it's a good way to connect with the gods or goddesses or deities that we are trying to reach. There are many mantras for Kali out there. One of the more simple ones that I like is Om Cream, and Cream is a seed sound for protection from evil. So there's a seed sound Om, and then the seed sound Cream, Kali Kaye Namaha. Now, when you are under the age of 28, you end your mantras with Swaha. 
If you're over the age of 28, you use Namaha. Now, this is because your Kundalini has rised closer to your solar plexus by the time you're 28 or over. So you are accessing it with a little bit of a different energy. So the Kali mantra would be Om Krim Kali Kaye Namaha. And then Durga mantra. The Durga mantra is Om Doom Durga Ye Namaha. And this particular mantra is the one exception to where we always leave at Namaha because she's the great mother. And we always want to chant into that higher solar plexus energy or above when we chant with her. So this one would be Om Doom Durga Ye Namaha. So those are the two mantras. And I use mantras a lot when I am connecting and calling in goddess energy. And Jude, do you use the mantras with the goddesses? Absolutely. Absolutely. You got to think like how much intention and energy over thousands of years by countless people over and over and over again. You know, uh, we talk about manifesting and how it's so important to hold our intention and our vision and our focus to bring things into more resonance with the this physical space so we can connect with it in a more tangible way. I mean, think about mantras. It's like you are adding to this like collective pool of intentional energy. And so it automatically has, you know, just by reciting it one time can amplify the energies beyond just about anything, you know, because there has been so much consciousness throughout the world that has been put towards these mantras. They're incredibly potent, incredibly healing. They can absolutely change the frequency and just in one invocation, if not doing it with an intentional practice over and over and over again. I love doing mantras. They're very important in my spiritual toolbox. Definitely. Sometimes when I'm just feeling off, I will just go right into a mantra without even thinking about it. It just helps ground me and center me and, and help me to connect. Now, the thing with goddesses is that we can evoke them and call them in, but sometimes they just show up uninvited which is usually a really positive thing. I had a, an advanced group uh, classes going on for a while, which were a powerful group of women that had done a lot of spiritual work. And we were meditating and I sensed something with us and I opened my eye and Kali was there in the middle of the room, kind of dancing around a bonfire. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. And I thought, I'm not going to mention this. I'm going to see if anybody else gets this. And we got done meditating and we were sharing and one woman said, so did anybody else smell smoke? And someone's like, yeah, like a bonfire. And then someone's like, there was somebody like a shadow dancing in the middle of the room. And it was so cool because not only did I feel her, but you know, many of the women in the group sensed her or caught an aspect of that. And she will show up when a portal is open to her, like Jude mentioned earlier, or when it's just needed. So I took this as, you know, this is a powerful group of women that she wants to be part of, but she's here to help us take it to the next level. She's here to empower us and help our journey come from a better place, a place of more strength and more power. So that was really cool. Jude, and I know you've worked with Kali and had a lot of experiences with her. Has she ever shown up kind of unexpectedly with you? Oh yeah, that's how she came into my life. I never even heard of Kali or knew anything about any of those things before they started coming. I say they as in pocket of these Hindu deities started showing up in my psychic visions. So this was more at a time, I was in my earlier 20s, mid 20s. I was in my mid 20s. Uh, my gifts were at that point 
really on and accelerated and active, but I, of course, had no control. I had no filters. Everything was on. It was open. It was shadow. It was light. It was all the things. And I was just basically trying to cope through my life. And I believe that these deities showed up during that time because they were starting to, first of all, that I was open to experience interdimensional consciousness like that. But it was also because they were going to be part of my spiritual process. And they knew that there was a higher intelligence orchestrating all of that. So at first I started getting visions of deities. They were blue skinned like Shiva and Krishna and Hanuman, which has the monkey face. And Hanuman is also a, a Hindu deity that has monkey looking it's to be honest with you, it sort of looks like planet of the apes. Like if you ever watched that movie, this Hanuman being, I would see this being that looked like a monkey man. And it confused me. I had no idea what I was seeing at the same time. I was seeing this blue being that I believe to be Shiva or Vishnu or aspects of both of those energies. And then this Kali I would see like wisps of this being around me. And I would notice that she had this like necklace of skulls. It was just like, there was these skulls draped around her neck and she had this sort of very dark, almost very raw in a way that I experienced at that, at that time, I would have described it as this like raw tribalistic, like black magic type energy, because I didn't know how to describe it. She was fierce and dark, but also beautiful and intriguing and powerful. And I knew it wasn't bad, but I didn't know what it was. And this had gone on for quite a while. I, I want to say like a good part of one year and through the power of Google, I swear, I attribute a lot of my validations to the internet. I Googled blue beings with skull necklaces and I Googled a monkey God. And then lo and behold, I see Shiva is married to an aspect of Durga, who is Kali, who is directly associated with Hanuman, and they all have stories. And, and to me, this was such a huge validation because upon seeing them, I was like, oh, I've seen these pictures, you know, somewhere in my vicinity throughout my life, but I never really, I thought they were beautiful, but I didn't really look into them. I didn't really know what they meant. I didn't know what their names were. I just thought they were interesting art from another culture. And, but because I started having visions and they were contacting me and connecting with me, I dove way deep into it. I was like, what are they? What do they mean? And this was at a time when I was like, what does this represent? Because I was seeing like that Shiva, Hanuman, Vishnu energy around me. But what I would see is this Kali energy in me. You know, there would be moments where I would feel this necklace around me. You know, there'd be moments where I'd feel arms around me and I didn't understand what that was. And it took me another decade to understand what that meant. But if you can imagine being 24, 25 years old and these kind of visions, these metaphysical manifestations were happening. And I was just like, what is this? So the fact that I was able to validate that what I was seeing and it actually existed, I was a hundred percent in almost immediately because that was one of the most profound validations that I ever had as a psychic right offhand, because I, that was not cued. It was not something I was interested in. It was so far out of my field at that point. And I believe, you know, I have a strong, you know, soul history, probably in India, probably worshiping these different 
gods and goddesses and dedicated maybe lifetimes towards that. I really resonate with that culture and that pathway, but I also resonate with many other cultures and many other spiritual paths around the world. But those were the first ones that manifested for me. And for me, I really believe it makes sense that Kali would manifest because as Patty said, is like, she's the one who just cuts through the darkness. She's a no holds bar. Like I, we're not wasting any time. She's putting down her foot and boom, we're done. We're through it. So for me being somebody who, as you know, always had this lens into the shadow realm was always dealing with demonic energies, dark energies, energies that I was frightened of at a time when I was 24, 25 and didn't have any boundaries and no protection. And I didn't know what I was dealing with. Kali couldn't have been a better suited ally for me to just push through and banish back to create that protection for me. And she absolutely did. I work with her still all the time when I'm really feeling like I need a strong container or I need to push some energy back that is unpleasant. I will invoke her immediately. I will invoke her energy. So as I was saying earlier, it's like, yes, I did see her embodied in me, but because I resonate with her, I may not have been awoken to that fully in this lifetime, but there had been other lifetimes where maybe I had spent my entire life honoring her, worshiping her, going to her temple, setting up altars, doing the mantras. That code was already ingrained in my spirit. And I was only reawoken to it again in this lifetime. So the work had already been done. Therefore, I see that I have sort of opened up some sort of like channel or pathway or portal for her energy to be expressed through me. And I believe that all of us have that. It's just a matter of whether or not you have awoken to it yet. Yes, Patty, to answer your question, they do show up on random. In fact, almost every single one I've ever had any type of relationship with manifested to me psychically before I was able to explore their energy on my own just because I was interested with the exception of like the main ones, like maybe Buddha and Christ energy and, you know, ones that are sort of more permeated in our mainstream. Like, of course I've seen those and I know about those and I hear about them, but I still do resonate with them in a magical sense, but those more obscure ones from these other religions and cultures, usually they've manifested first. And then I had to do some research and start digging to figure out what it was that I was seeing. Thanks, Jude. That's so interesting that she showed up to you before you even knew who she was, that she introduced herself to you instead of you knowing who she was and calling her in. My first introduction to the Hindu goddesses was I was studying Buddhism quite a bit and I was sharing it with a friend and my friend kind of paused and frowned at me. And she's like, really? Buddhism seems too sedate for you. I see you more as a Hindu goddess girl. And I'm like, Hindu goddess? And I looked up some of the Hindu goddesses. And the, the first thing that I found was the triple goddess. Um, sometimes the goddesses show up in triplicate. And we'll talk a little bit about the triple goddess as we get into the podcast a little bit more. But Kali is one of the triple goddesses with Saraswati and Lakshmi. And I tapped into this triple goddess aspect and I saw the photo of Kali and I'm like, oh, hell no, I will not be going there. And I decided to check in with Lakshmi and I started meditating and Kali just showed up. She's like, oh yes, we need to talk. That was my first connection with her. And so I was aware of her but she did kind of show up unexpected there as well. And when you were talking earlier about some gods and goddesses showing up and some not, I kind of feel like bodhisattvas tend to not be, they're a little more respectful and a little more gentle. So a bodhisattva was a human 
is someone that was incarnated as a human, but when they died, they rejected nirvana. And rather than incarnating a second time or moving into the oneness, they decided to be close here to assist and help people and be of assistance to humanity. So this might be a good time to go into Kuan Yin because Kuan Yin is a bodhisattva. Kuan Yin is Chinese and she is the goddess of healing, kindness, compassion, tenderness, nurturing, peace, and harmony. She's a total complete opposite from Kali that we've been talking about. Kuan means earth and Yin means female force. She's beautiful. She's this beautiful goddess. She wears a white robe and it's usually over her head. And her name means born of the lotus. She's usually sitting on an open lotus flower. And she oftentimes holds a water vase, which is meant to quench the thirst of humans or quench the needs of human beings. She holds this water vase, and sometimes in her other hand, she will hold a willow branch. And she's often seen either sitting on the lotus or riding on a dolphin, which is really cool. Now, she is just this calming, lovely, quiet, sweet energy. She doesn't really have a negative aspect to herself. She pretty much just maintains the space. And she has a really interesting backstory. When she was a human, her father had forced all of the daughters to marry rich men that were evil and unkind. And she refused this. So she asked her father that she be able to live the rest of her life out in the temple in a spiritual life. And he allowed her to do this, but he asked them at the temple to treat her poorly because he really wanted more money in the family. He was hoping that they would treat her poorly and she would come out and decide to marry a wealthy man. And she stayed in the temple and was treated poorly and was given all the hardest jobs to do, was not fed well, was abused. And it's believed that the animals, it's kind of a Cinderella story in a little bit of a way here, that the animals would come and assist her with their chores and help her. So her father never heard about the magic that she had with the animals, but he was frustrated that she decided not to come out of the temple and marry. So he had her murdered. Now, when she died, this is when she decided that rather than being incarnated again into the human form or going into the oneness or nirvana, that she would stay around to bring compassion and nurturing and loving energy to those that are in need and to those that find themselves in difficult situations like she had found herself in. And again, when you invoke her or meditate with her, it's kind of like this beautiful exhale. You're just surrounded by this lovely, calming energy. And she's this guardian angel for humans. And you really feel that high vibrational frequency, but so gentle and heart-centered. Now, um, it would be great to invoke her when you need that motherly nurturing energy. You need somebody that just has your back. When you're seeking peace and harmony, this is a great time with the war that's happening right now to invoke Kuan Yin to just bring in that compassion and love and that peaceful energy. She is white. And again, she wears this white robe. So utilizing white candles and white flowers on an altar, or if you want to invoke her also rose quartz is a stone that is in alignment with her. You can leave her offerings of black tea and rice and her essential oils are lavender, neroli, pedigree, and rosewood. And I 
connect with her a lot when things are just hectic and chaotic and crazy and I just need to chill. And she really helps me with that. I love that. Hearing you describe her, I'm realizing like, oh, I need more. <laughs> I need more Kuan Yin in my life. Actually, we have a really huge Kuan Yin statue on the west side at the Buddhist temple and uh, mm. on Kauai. It's this big, beautiful white statue. I've seen her there for years. I've actually connected with Kuan Yin's energy through clients a handful of times. There are certain, so as I said, if the more in alignment with your divinity that you are, the more different deity aspects will be expressed through you. And, and there have been a few clients that I've absolutely gotten to feel just that incredible, compassionate, nurturing, peaceful, like it's like, yes, being basked in a white light of purity. There's just, it's so good. <laughs> and it's, totally the opposite of my energy and that Kali energy. And the only time I've ever really been able to savor it is through clients. But uh, yeah, hearing you say that, I was like, oh, why don't I invoke her more? You know, why don't I make an offering, light a candle, you know, bring some flowers and all of that. Yeah. So I'm feeling a little inspired by that description. It's not that I've ever in my life gone out and seeked God, goddess connection. I've just been sort of like a free agent floating around in the world and just taking in my experiences and just, you know, hoping for the best, right? So as I said, my, the first goddess that came to me was Kali, even though I may not have fully understood what her position was for me in life. And it took me, as I said, a decade to really understand what that was. The second goddess that showed up for me immediately after that was La Muerta from, you know, the Mexican culture, Day of the Dead. And I started seeing Day of the Dead beings, like skeletal people with like flowers and ornate decorations on them. And I immediately recognized it because you know, it's a popular art form, right? So, but I didn't really know it to be like a spiritual thing. I just was like, oh, this looks like day of the dead, day of the dead. I don't even know what that is. And this was also in my mid twenties. So of course I looked up day of the dead and saw that the main deity of that, her name is La Muerta. And she's sort of this goddess of the in-between under realm, the realm where spirits are passing, you know, where the dead go. So I found that to be very interesting and very beautiful. And I was intrigued by that. So I you know, sort of put her in my back pocket as like this deity that was also showing up for me that I didn't ask for. Uh, another one that showed up after that was this Egyptian goddess. It was a cat goddess. And I at first thought it was Bast because Bast is obviously the most popular. It's the black cat. You see the statues. But the cat that would show itself to me was not always black. Sometimes it was golden. Sometimes it was spotted like a leopard, you know. And I didn't really know what it meant, but I felt this really strong resonance with this cat goddess from Egypt. And once again, not asking for it, but just sort of like I have that and I put that in my back pocket. And then the most recent one that happened a few years ago, or it wasn't a few years ago, it was, it was over the course of many years, but I, I really didn't understand it until recently. And so I'm going to share with you how this came about. One of the things that I tell people is like, it's very hard to read myself. I can't see myself. I can't step outside of myself. I can't see my own aura. I can see everybody else's stuff, but I can't see my own. And every once in a while, may it be every once a year, every couple of years, 
spirit allows me access to be able to see just a glimpse, just a, just a little smidget of my aura where I can just grab on a little piece. Like maybe it was like the right moon in the mirror and the right light, the right time. And I just saw like just a little puzzle piece of my overall embodiment. Right. And I've been compiling these pieces year after year after year to kind of get a sense of like, if I could step outside of myself and look back at me, what would my aura look like? Um, and you know, there's a lot of shadowy aspects in there. Like it, it's beautiful and it's super intense, but it could in a way be very intimidating. And I'm going to confess something to you all. I have always known that I looked like I was like half a skeleton, like half like shadow and half light, like half very beautiful, very bright light, you know, sunsets and birds and peacocks and you name it, like anything you can imagine in the light realm, one half of me looks that way. And then if you put a line right down the middle of me, the other half of me looks like, like a dead person, like just gray and shadowy and sunken in. And in fact, the very first time I ever met Patty and she was cued to give me a reading, she says, oh my gosh, you're like split right down the middle and you're like half shadow and half light. And I was blown away because I knew this about myself, but I had never told anybody that because I thought it was so weird and I didn't really know what it meant. And for one, it was a huge validation that I was in fact seeing myself correct. But then, you know, Patty was sort of like, oh, well, we need to fix that. <laughs> we need to change your shadow <laughs> side and bring more light into it. And I'm like shaking my head at her. I was like, girl, you don't even know, like, you can't change this. This is, this is who I am, you know, but, but she, I was like, bless her heart. She's going to try to bring more light into my life, which she did. But eventually down the line, a few years later, one day she finally said, she's like, oh, I get it you just are half shadow. I'm like, you can't change that. It's like ingrained in your very makeup. I was like, yep. And I've actually had other people, multiple friends who have a uh, clairvoyant abilities without me saying it. I've always known this about myself. I've had friends be totally freaked out by me because they've known me forever. And then like, maybe this one time I looked at them and I fully looked like a half skeleton, half like dead, and then half whatever normal. And I've, I've had friends be frightened by this. I've had friends stop me being like, oh my God, you just look like you were like half a skeleton, half. A, and so it's been validation over the years. So it's like, yes, yes. Okay. I know I look like this, whatever I get it because I'm like, you know, able to go into the shadow realms and I need to be able to disguise myself to sneak past the gates of hell, you know, and then I need to be in the light too, because that's all my, you know, sweet healing aspects. I had a client and uh, they were studying gods and goddesses to this great depth where they were trying to like connect the threads of all the different deities all over the planet and how all of them are actually the same or different expressions through different cultures, right? Which I resonate with. And I told them, I was like, go, oh, if you could really see my aura, I'm like half skeleton, half, half, like normal, like beautiful. And he's like, like hell. I was like, what? And he's like, like hell, H E L hell, the Norse goddess, hell. She's half skeleton, half normal looking. And I was like, I've never heard of this person before. And so I like immediately Google it and all these pictures, there was just like thousands of images of this deity that's a half split down the middle, skeleton on one side, beautiful on the other side. 
And I lost it. I was like, what? This, this was just a couple of years ago, by the way. So this was another such huge validation because I had been carrying this like auric knowing about myself for many years at this point, never even knew that there was a representation of that anywhere. And then here I am seeing that there's like painting after painting, image after image of this deity that exists that looks like this. So of course, you know, I, I dove deeper into it and I was like, who is this Norse goddess hell? Well, hell is uh, a, the daughter of Odin and she's the goddess of the underworld. She's the goddess that rules the realm between realms, you know, between life and death, that crossing point. And you know who else does that? La Muerta. And you know who else does that? Kalima. And you know who else does that? Sekhmet, who is the cat goddess who also rules the underworld. So I had not made this distinction, you know, or connection up until I had this revelation about this Norse goddess hell. And I looked them all up. And, you know, when you Google, I remember the day because I, I hit up Patty that day. I was like, oh my God, I'm losing it. Like, this is so crazy. <laughs> there, you look up hell and it's like uh, goddess of death, Kali, goddess of death. Sekhmet, goddess of death, Lemuert, the goddess of death, you know, and I was shook. I was like, it's not that it was at any one of these ones. It's just simply the goddess of death. Like this is the energy that I express, you know, this is maybe like uh, the frequency that I carry. And then at the same time, I'm like, oh, it makes so much sense because my forte psychically is seeing earthbound spirits, dead people who have not yet fully crossed over to the other side. And it's not that I can't connect with spirits who've crossed over to the other side into the fullness of the light. I feel like Patty is more gifted in that area than me. But as far as earthbound spirits, spirits who need to like let go of baggage, to clear the way, to make the transition, to accept their death, all of that, I'm like, that's my sweet spot. I feel so comfortable in that realm. In fact, that is also why, if you remember the story about Polihale, which is the portal space in which people are crossing from um, the life plane into going to the other side and they're still in that in-between space at that portal point, I feel right at home there. There is no sweeter place on the planet than to be at Polahale for me. But then I bring Patty there and Patty, she, in 20 minutes, she's like, I'm good. We got to go. Like, I can't. <laughs> totally. <laughs> right. Because it's not that heavenly realm. I'm sure if I, I took her to the other portal on the other side of that hill, she would have been like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But um, and you would have been like boring, boring, yeah. <laughs> boring <laughs> angels. Uh, no, I mean, <laughs> but there's, it just the frequency, the tone of it, the taste of it, the color of it, it feels so good to me. I don't even know how to describe it. It just feels like I fit and I plug right into that space. And as a medium, that is the, the major part of my mission outside of all the other healing work and the things that I do on the earthly plane to human beings is to help the spirits that are stuck and I'm constantly working in that space to help them cross over. So I can see why I would be an expression of that, the goddess of death. Okay. And of course, when I called Patty at that time, I was like, sure, everybody gets the goddess of love and the goddess of fertility. <laughs> and they're all these beautiful. And I'm like this, like sunken in decrepit looking dead woman like walking around. <laughs> so I had to sort of like accept that, you know, but at the same time, I thought it was really cool that just so you all know, was like a 20 year journey. Okay. Like that took me 20 years to almost 20 years for me to put that all together, 
that didn't just come to me overnight. It's not like you're just gonna be like, wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, you know, I, I resonate with this deity now. And, uh, and maybe, maybe, but I, I highly doubt that if you've awoken to one that um, that would be the only one. There's probably gonna be more and more and more and you're gonna find all these multifacets of like who you connect with. That's my story. That's how I found it. And all of those deities found me. I did not find them and I cannot make that up. They all were goddesses of death. So I don't know. And can you explain it? I can't. It is what it is. I hope that doesn't spook anybody out. I don't really share that part of myself with people. It's not that I think I'm like, oh, this grand goddess of death walking around. I know that there are many expressions of these very high beings embodied in many other people all over the planet. And we are all here doing this type of work. And, you know, I just acknowledge that that is the particular portal or energy that I express. So there you go. I love that. Talk about validation. Yeah. And I remember you calling me about that. That was a trip and amazing. Well, I will introduce one more goddess that most of you are probably familiar with, Gaia. My spiritual journey pretty much began with grounding. That is the first tool that I learned that really changed things for me and really opened things up for me. And Gaia is the primordial Greek goddess of the mother earth. She's the creator of life and she is portrayed in photographs. She's portrayed as this powerful kind of buxom priestess or witchy form. And she's usually clothed in green. She works with fragrant herbs and smoke. And a lot of times you'll see paintings of her or pictures depicting her of her throwing herbs into either a cauldron or into a bonfire and the smoke surrounding her. She also is a very grounding, nurturing, loving, kind being, but she is also known as the goddess of war because she will do whatever needs to be done to fight for the safety of the planet. She is the goddess that is protecting our ecosystem and our environment while at the same time embodying that energy of home for us. She's the wise mother, the giver of life and nourishment the ruler of plants and stones, and divine feminine strength. Now we can invoke her or connect with her whenever we do any grounding exercises, you know, sending our energy down to the earth, receiving that energy back up. Also, when we are working with plants, when we are working with healing energies, when we are meditating out in nature and connecting with nature, having gratitude for nature, and doing any earth-based meditations. We can invoke her when we just need that grounding energy and we need to be present and we need that balance and we need to feel home and we need to touch down. And we've talked about this in our past grounding meditations that when we experience trauma or difficulties in our lives, we tend to leave our bodies. Well, Gaia is that source of gravity that brings us back to earth, back into our bodies, back into the presence so that we can manifest the best possible life. Now, ways to invoke her are again, to do those grounding exercises with a visual or energetically connecting with her and sending your energy down to the center of the earth or around the earth. We also can utilize candles, either brown or green being barefoot, putting our feet down in the earth, laying on the earth or meditating outside in nature are great ways to manifest her. And she is pretty much happy with any stone and any herbs. So there isn't anything specific that you need to have to invoke her. So again, this is where you would pick something that 
feels in alignment with you or where you are right now, or you may not even know why you just might be like, yeah, I'm, I'm just supposed to be bringing her oregano today, you know, and just go with it. Some of the essential oils that radiate with her are cedarwood, patchouli, and sage. But again, anything earthy, any of the evergreen oils would be good. Patchouli is great because it's similar to soil and that smell of the deep soil. And you just call her in when you really need her. And she has rescued my ass so many times when my anxiety has been over the top, when I haven't been able to be present, when I was stuck in fear grounding just brings everything down, helps it settle. And she just kind of reaches her hands up and grabs your energy field and brings it down to her heart to nourish and love you and send back up unconditional love. So Gaia has been huge for me and in my journey. Jude, how about you? Thank you for bringing her up because you actually reminded me of an experience that I have not thought about in a really long time. So even though I did just say that Kali was the first goddess that showed herself to me, actually, in fact, it was Gaia. But at the time, I was so young, I didn't define her in that moment as a goddess entity. I guess I defined her as a consciousness or a spirit, but I think I was 19. It was right when I had my big spiritual awakening that I've talked about, my Kundalini awakening, where I was hearing and seeing every, everything was full on. There was no filters, nothing. We were camping on this land and I had decided to kind of walk away from the group and just kind of go explore in the trees and see, you know, just see the area. It was really beautiful. And I came to this one area where these people had obviously come and dumped all their garbage. There was like mattresses and like metal and glass and just craziness. And I'm walking around like, what a beautiful place. And then, yeah. Okay. So there's like some hidden little spot in the woods here. So people are coming here and dumping their garbage. I was like, this is really just sad. It was just sort of disappointing to be walking around all this crud. And I felt like, oh my gosh, I like cleaned this up. It was way too big of a job than I could do. It really upset me. And it just kept making me sadder and sadder. And I got so upset about it that I ended up laying down on the ground. And the next thing I know, I was right in the center of earth and I could hear her talking to me. And it sort of felt like my heart was her heart and my body was her body and her consciousness was my consciousness. And she was crying. And she was in this immense pain. Like I could feel sort of like pain in my joints, like burning on my skin, like lumps in my body. It was just like this weird, uncomfortable physical sensation. And then my heart was pained with this like deep, deep grief and sadness. And I just started bawling, crying. And I heard her tell me how much pain she was in that we were poisoning her, that this planet was her body and that we were doing these terrible things to it. And we weren't caring and we were being ignorant and we weren't paying attention and we don't consider her and we're not seeing her as this like person basically. And would we do this to any one person just so recklessly and carelessly like abuse and misuse and violate somebody? We wouldn't. And so I saw her as this entity and this being, I was sobbing, 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 crying. And I go back to my friends. I'm just like, blubbering and I'm looking at all of them be like the earth the earth is hurting and we're poisoning her and we need to stop we need to I was so passionate about it and they started crying because I was crying so hard and but they had they already knew that they were already beyond that point of understanding 
a conscious connection to the planet and that we need to be more mindful about our footprint. We need to be more mindful about how we treat the planet. And I hadn't, I was younger than everybody else. And nobody taught me that. Nobody said that to me. It was just something that kind of manifested. They were kind of nodding their heads. Yeah, they all gave me a hug. They're like, yes, we need to love the earth. So they saw me have that spiritual opening. But yeah, thank you for reminding me of that. There was no way not to experience it when I was that open because Gaia Earth, she's my home. I was bound to connect with her higher essence. And yeah, I do still to this day connect and speak with her and talk to her and I observe her. I still do this thing where I, will like zoom out and check in with like, how are you doing? Like, how is the overall state of your health? What is the oversoul of earth and, and how is she handling these changes that are happening right now? And I, I constantly and consistently check in with her, but yeah, the first time that ever happened. And I, I thank you because I don't even know if I would have recalled that unless you just told me all of that. That's so touching. My, my first experience with her, I was really young too. I was probably 16 or 17 and I grew up in LA. There wasn't a lot of nature around us, but my girlfriend and I, we, we just got our licenses and we would drive to the beach on the weekends. And we were driving home from the beach and she just said, you know what? We need to pull over and look at the clouds. And I'm like, what the hell? So we pulled over at a schoolyard and we got out and we ran out in the middle of the field and we both just laid on the ground silently looking at the clouds. It was a beautiful day with blue skies, big puffy white clouds. And we just laid there silently. And I felt this sinking or the settling energy. And it wasn't scary, but like I was falling into the center of the earth or becoming the earth and being just a 16 year old girl and totally self-centered and into my own world. I tapped into this space of appreciation and gratitude for nature. And this is the nature of like a schoolyard, but just the grass and the trees and the smell of the grass and this beautiful day. It was my first experience of gratitude of nature and really taking notice of my environment. And it was a super spiritual experience. And we both laid there and neither of us said a word. And I remember going home and just thinking, what the hell just happened? Like it was a deep experience that like has stayed with me even till now, just the sense of connecting with her. And at that time, I had no idea who Gaia was. I didn't see Mother Earth as an energy or an entity or a being. And later on, when I started working with grounding, I started going, oh, that's what that was because I couldn't label it. But yeah, interesting wow. that we both had experiences with her so young. Very similar too, because mine was the same sense of just like sinking into the center of the earth and then feeling her as though I was her. And But understanding that it was an energy outside of me too, you know, it's wow, that's that's far out, Patty. Yeah, very cool. Some of the ways in which I see deities manifest, a lot of it comes through my clients. Uh, sometimes through, like, I have no idea who these people are, who these deities are, nothing. But one interesting story was one time this guy came into my studio and he was from India and he didn't speak hardly any English at all, like very broken English, but he said that he could understand me and he wanted a reading. So, so I gave him this reading and he's sitting across from me and immediately, I mean, it was so intense. I was shaking. It was one of those kind of readings where I'm shaking and I'm like almost falling on the floor because the energy is so intense. And what I saw was this, it looked like a lingam, this big oval shape appeared before me between me and this person. But the two sides of the lingam had like infinite arms. So from below my floor, 
cresting up on either side, up over into the ceiling. Like it, the, the hands were many, many, many. It looked like they each, each side had a hundred arms on it from floor to ceiling. And I had never seen anything like this. Now, at this point in time, I was familiar with Kali, but this was not Kali. And I was familiar with Durga and all of those that have multiple arms, as you had said earlier, Patty, four, sometimes eight, but it felt like an infinite, like, like just crest of arms going through. And I'm falling back. I said, there's this energy in here and it looks like an oval in the center of it and arms, 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 arms. And he starts pointing to his necklace. He's wearing this little gold charm on a necklace. And he's saying something, he's saying some word I've never heard before. He's saying, by Ravi, by Ravi, by Ravi. And I'm like, I don't know what that means, you know? And so I look at his necklace and it just has like a little Sanskrit word on it. I don't know what this is. And, but he seems quite excited that I'm describing this thing that I don't even know what I'm looking at. Afterwards, he pulls open his phone and he pulls up a photo of Bhairavi. And Bhairavi is a goddess that is representative of like the purest, it's supposedly like the purest, purest form of the female energy. Like it's just the encompassing of all aspects of the female energy. So when you were talking about Parvati, Durga, Kali, and all of them are aspects of the same deity, but if you were to, to just like sum it up in one, that would be like Bhairavi. And there's these statues that they have in India that is like a lingam with like these beautiful eyes and these arms. And it looks like just literally a hundred arms on either side. I have never seen that, didn't even know that thing existed, but I saw it. And I saw it with such intensity because this guy spent some like five to seven years in India at some ashram that specifically worships that deity, his whole world surrounded around this deity, which I didn't know, you know, so that just goes to show like when the portal is open, these energies and these beings in their consciousness are, in my opinion, absolutely real and valid and relevant because there's no way I would have been able to see that or connect with that if it hadn't been, or if that person had not walked in to my door. That was like one of those huge validations. And once again, just reminding me of the potency of these gods and goddesses that we can encounter. That's so cool. So what, what's interesting to the, about this to me is that lingams represent the divine masculine. They are actually, they're actually supposed to be the male genitalia. So I wonder if this goddess, if she represents kind of the, the balance between the divine masculine and the divine feminine. This guy had broken English. So please don't quote me on this for anybody who might know about it. And I could be messing this up, but with what little English he spoke to me, he said that there was a ritual that was done it was this very long orchestrated ritual that went on for many months, I think, or like many years, or I'm not really sure. It went on for a very, very long time. And it had to be done a very specific way where they created her, they birthed her. There's some ritual that could happen in the Hindu religion where just as the gods created Kali to slay the demon, that through these certain rituals and practices, they can create a new deity and they birth this new deity. And that was the manifestation. That was the representation of what she looked like. So when you see statues of her, she does not look like a head and legs and feet. And she has a body. She just looks like this. Yeah. A lingam. I don't know if it is a lingam, but it looks like a lingam with just arms on it. Well, I really began my goddess worshiping. And I know we've talked a lot about goddesses and not as much about gods, but Jude and I are both women and we are here 
connecting with the divine feminine. And there's a reason we chose to be female. So this is why this is geared a little bit more towards goddesses. However, men, you can invoke goddesses and women, you can invoke gods. It doesn't have to stick with any gender formalities there. But I started off working with the Hindu goddesses. That was my first experience with invoking Hindu goddesses. And I've taken a few glasses on them. Um, However, I have recently started to connect with my English heritage and my Irish heritage and have started working with some more of those goddesses and deities. And one that I would like to talk about is Brigid. Bridget is a Celtic goddess, and she was, the Christians later on adopted her as a saint, and so she's also Saint Bridget, and she's the goddess of poetry and healing, purification, fertility, blacksmithing, midwifery, and creativity, and she's usually depicted as this beautiful maiden with super long red hair. She is oftentimes shown with sheep or goats, cows, or horses. She's an animal lover. And we can invoke her when we are having issues with fertility. You know, if you're wanting to get pregnant, she's a great goddess to bring in. Also during pregnancy, since she's a midwife, she can watch over you during that time. She can also help open up creative blocks. She helps you work through things by journaling and writing, reading poetry, writing poetry. She also is the goddess of newness and rebirth. And she is the goddess that is celebrated on Imbolc, which is the festival February 1st, which is just the newest stirrings of spring as we're just coming out of winter. It's the hope of newness and rebirth and the sun coming out again. And she is the goddess that's celebrated during that time. You can work with her um, with white candles Also by planting seeds in her name or putting seeds out, you can make the Bridget's Cross if you've seen those. Um, I made some this year with uh, that's kind of weaving reeds into a a cross specifically. And she is represented by rowan berries and chamomile, either chamomile flowers or essential oils. And her stones are carnelian. Also pyrite and copper are the metals that represent her. Um, because she was first seen as the goddess that would bless the blacksmiths and help them with their job. Now, I went to a priestess retreat of several years ago in England and was, you know, able to go to Glastonbury and Avebury and all these amazing, amazing places. And we did actually did a full moon ceremony on the mound of Bridget which was extremely magical. We were cracking open bottles of champagne and drinking champagne from the bottle and passing it around. And the full moon was rising and it it was just magical. And I have had her show up quite a bit for me and have been using her. And again, it's fun to kind of explore different areas, you know, different cultures and different meanings of these different goddesses and gods, because while they have similar meanings and some of them are nearly identical. There are some that adopt a little bit of a different feel about them or a little bit of a different energy. And so she's a great goddess to connect with. She also represents fire. So having a fire pit, if the next time you make a bonfire, you can invite her in to join you. And she represents maidenhood. And this is where we might go into the triple goddess. Now you've probably seen the sign of the triple goddess. It's a 
a crescent moon facing the left, and then it'll be a full moon in the center, and then a crescent moon facing the right, and they're put up together. So it's a crescent moon, a full moon, and a crescent moon. And that's a sign of the triple goddess. Now, there are goddesses and gods that are grouped together that have different virtues or different powers where combined they bring balance and ultimate power. Like, for instance, Persephone, Hecate, and Demeter are grouped together as a triple goddess. As we spoke earlier, Sarasvati, Lakshmi, and Kali are brought together. However, the triple goddess also represents the cycles in a woman's life. There's that first moon is the crescent moon, the waxing crescent moon, and this represents maidenhood. This is the time of innocence, of youth, of courage, of joy. This is the time in a woman's life up till about 15 years old or up until we start menstruating, until we start bleeding for the first time. And the color of this is white. And it's that white virginity energy. And then we move into the full moon. And this is the mother cycle. And this is by red. And this is summer months. The, the maiden is spring and the mother is summer. And the mother represents that rooted energy, nurturing, mothering, creation, birthing, whether we are actually birthing or we are energetically birthing something, and fertility. And this usually starts around the age of 30. This is when we are fully fertile. And this is when many of us become mothers or become caregivers in some way, whether that's to people or mentorship or to animals. And then the last phase is the waning crescent moon. And this is for the crone. And the color of this is black. Then she is represented by winter. And this usually starts once you stop bleeding around the age of 60. This stage represents your shadow self, your power, your wisdom, your intuition, self-actualization, and magic. Now, we can work with the triple goddess in that we can work within the cycle where we are. Like I would be working a lot with the crone energies because I'm, I'm in that age space right now. However, we can also go back and heal or celebrate or tap into these different energies through this time of our life, what we experienced as a maiden, what we experienced as a mother, the aspects of crone. If you're not in that age yet, you can still tap into some of those aspects of the crone or invite the crone wisdom and the crone magic and intuition into your life, or, you know, invite in that maiden and that innocence and that lightness into your life. So this is where we work with the goddess within our own goddess energy and tap into that with the maiden. You know, what we really want to do is be liked and seek independence with the mother. It's a time when we start recognizing our own needs and we either prioritize those or we put them on the back burner and end up suffering. And then the crone is a time of expansion and magic and knowing that there's so much more to life than what we have experienced thus far. And so tapping into these energies is great. A really lovely meditation is to take some deep breaths, close your eyes, and imagine that you are walking up to a tree that represents the maiden. This is usually a tree that's just budding with baby leaves or baby flowers. And you hug that tree and then you allow the maiden aspect of yourself to come out and gift you with something. And you take that gift and then you look at that gift and analyze that gift and find meaning in that gift. And then you move over to the tree that represents the mother. And this is a tree that's full of leaves and bright red, juicy persimmons or red apples. It's that juicy fertile stage. And then the maiden aspect of yourself walks out of the tree and gives you a gift. And again, you take this gift 
and you recognize the meaning of it. And then lastly, you walk up to the crone tree. This is this beautiful sculptural tree that's barren, but has these beautiful winding branches. And again, you hug that tree, invite your crone energy out and take a gift from her. And I love doing that meditation because I get something different from it each time. I just was putting it together for my mentorship class. And I myself was getting all these gifts while I was speaking the meditation for them. And I'm like, oh, lovely. And I've been using one of the gifts all week to kind of get me through a stressful week. So this is where we tap into the goddess within. And it's a good way to do that. Jude, have you worked with this before? Um, not intentionally, but I love that meditation. And you know, what's interesting is I actually just had a client the other day who had that sort of awakening. Like every client to me is like a different portal or a different mirror. It's, it's just so fascinating. Like I really wish people could see what I see sometimes. Uh, but she had this maiden mother crone aspect in her. And the Mm -hmm. only other person I've ever seen that in is you. Like when oh, I really? read, yeah, when I read you, you clearly have those three awakened phases in you. So it's almost like reading you is like speaking to three aspects of you, like that young, innocent purity and that like, you know, centered, empowered where you're at. And then this like older, wise, almost grandmother energy about you. And I just thought that was you, but I actually read somebody the other day who also had that. And so hearing you talk about this is like, oh, this must just mean that they are really in alignment with their goddess work, you know, and and now I kind of almost wish I had asked her, you know, if she has done work like this or has been part of, you know, goddess rituals or anything like that, because I know you have, and I know you've done a priestess work and all of that, but Yeah. And when I read that on her being the second time, I was like, okay, so this is a thing that this is something that people can access of themselves, like these different versions of different times, because as an elder woman, it's almost like you want to have some of that, like vitality and freshness and youth. So you don't just feel tired and like old and to feel like vibrant and feel energized and inspired and motivated and, and adventurous, you know, as an old woman, I would only hope that I still feel some of those things. And as a young woman, I would hope that I have the, the wisdom of an elder aspect of myself or this sort of like I could see in that middle mother realm, this, this strength and this protection and this honoring of myself and, and those around me, it's, it's awesome. And I guess in a sense, I have absolutely, um, during a shamanic drum journey, I did tap into those three phases. It wasn't done during like a, a goddess invocation, but I did see, yeah, maiden mother crone aspects of myself. Very interesting, Patty. Thank you. I can't wait to see you as a crone because I just, you're so powerful. And I feel like by the time you're at that stage, you're going to be so into your power that it's just going to be electrifying. I'm going to be like 80 when you're 60. Hopefully I'll still be around to see it. But um, I had a really powerful experience uh, on my birthday where I did a, a tea ceremony, a Chinese tea ceremony, and this dragon energy came to me. And the dragon sort of settled into my spirit. It was like, I became one with the dragon. I turned into this old grandmother energy and, you know, and as it was happening, I was like asking my friends that were in the tea ceremony, I was like, do I look older? I was like, <laughs> so I literally could feel the wrinkles on my face. And I was like, oh my God, I hope this doesn't age me. Like my vanity kicked right in. I was like embodying my elder <laughs> self. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, I would love to bring uh, just some of my experience with the more male energies just a little bit. I have another really interesting story of validation. Uh, many years ago, I was hanging out with some friends and there was like a new person in the group and I wasn't really familiar with them. And I've described this before in other podcasts, but as a clairvoyant orically, it's not that like I can see everybody's aura and I'm not just sitting there being like, well, I can see everybody's stuff. And I know all the past lives and all their things. It doesn't work like that. In fact, it's, it's almost like you'd have to have a couple hundred people in front of me and pretty much all of them are going to be neutral. Like I'm not going to see anything. It's not me. It's them. It's, it's the fact that they're either more walled up or more guarded or less awoken to their divinity. And so they're kind of reading to me as neutral. And then a very small pocket, like 1% of that group is going to be very dark. Like people who are traumatized, abused, they're riddled with all kinds of entities and they're being manipulated by this dark shadowy force. And, and those people stick out to me, which is an advantage because now I know when shady people are coming around or I know when, you know, people can't really be trusted. I don't want to say it's judgment. It's, it's being wise and aware, but there is a 1% of people that are going to look like that. Amongst that same group, there's also going to be a 1% that are so high and so bright that when they're in the space, oh my gosh, goddess, ET, starseed, whatever we want to say, it, it sticks out and I cannot not see it. It's not something I'm trying to do. I just see it. But no, just know that in my everyday, pretty much everybody just looks normal, okay? But every once in a while, somebody comes into my sphere that they're so in alignment with their divinity. As I was saying, the more in alignment you get with your divinity, the more these higher expressions of these like really powerful energies will read through you. So there was this man, I was hanging out with friends and they had one of their mutual friends uh, hanging out with us. And I had never been around this person before. So you know, and lo and behold, they had a spectacular aura and I couldn't not see it. They were one of these people. And so basically I asked, I told this guy, look, I can see your aura. It's really cool looking. Can I tell you what it looks like? And sure enough, he was like, yeah, tell me about it. So he looked like he had these giant feathers, like a, maybe four or five, six feathers that were many feet long, three, four feet long, hanging out behind the back of his head. And then the lower half from his hips down looked like a snake body, but it was like the snake body that was shaped in such a way that was sort of like Mayan-esque. Like it was very kind of boxy with rounded edges. Like, you know, if you look at Mayan artwork, it just sort of had that flavor to it, right? And there was this, clearly it was like a snake's bottom with scales and the whole deal. And it was like kind of twisting back and forth. But he also had these little eyeballs plastered all over him, like a hundred eyeballs all from head to toe, not just his two eyeballs, but just like eyeballs all over him. And I was like, oh, it's like really cool looking, you know? And he happened to have a sketchbook with him and he's like, will you draw it for me? And so I made this like really crude drawing of him as this like half snake being with eyeballs all over him and these feathers sticking out of his head. He's like, I resonate very deeply with like the Mayan history. And, and I was like, well, clearly you've had some sort of like incarnation or a lifetime in, in that space, but you know, I don't know much more about it than that. And it's really cool. And so for what it's worth, that's what you look like. And almost immediately after I saw this on him, I started hearing this very faint whisper, like in my Claire audience space. And it was saying the word Siddhartha. Siddhartha, Siddhartha, Siddhartha. 
And at the time I was like, I've heard this word before, but I don't know what it means. You know, I was like, I know I've heard this word. I know it's a spiritual word. I don't know how I know it. I don't know where it's from, but I've heard it before and I'm hearing it being said over and over again. And in the midst of hearing this, there was this point that I looked up into the sky and I got this like pop flash, like boom, it just showed up for like three seconds, but it was this image of some sort of deity, some sort of, it looked like a Tibetan slash Buddhist deity figure. And the only distinguishing feature was that it had many heads, like it was like stacked up, like there was its main head. And then there was like a smaller head on top and a smaller head on top. And there was like four or five heads stacking up. And it sort of looked like a temple, you know, in Asia where they have like pagoda like temples where it stacks up and it gets smaller towards the top, except they were distinctly heads with faces on them. It only popped in for a few seconds, but it happened while I was hearing this word Siddhartha, 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 immediately after I had just gotten done telling this guy what his aura looks like and drawing the picture. Okay. So I don't know if what any of it means. I don't know if it's all related. It was cool. And I was like, I could drive myself crazy trying to figure out what everything means the moment I see stuff because I see stuff all the time. I see and hear and taste, you know, things are always happening in my reality. And I just put it on my like mental shelf and, and it was a few days later. And I actually hadn't given much thought about any of these things that had just happened. I was sleeping and I had this dream and Buddha showed up in my dream. And this Buddha comes into my room and is floating in the middle of the air. And then right then I woke up. And as I was opening my eyes, I heard very clearly the word Siddhartha. And I was like, I heard that word the other night. Like, what is that? And I was like, does it have something to do with Buddha? So I wake up. (laughs) Google should pay me for as much as I talk about Google. But I go on Google and I type in Siddhartha and Buddha. And I'm sure many of you are listening to this and you're like, I totally know how they're related, but I did not know at the time, but Siddhartha and Buddha are the same being. Okay. So the story, the long and the short of it is, is Siddhartha was this son who was meant to be king and then decided to give up his life to go seek enlightenment and basically just went on this long journey until he became the Buddha. And I'm just like, what, you know, just like they're related. Like, how crazy is that, that I heard that and that I saw Buddha in my dream. And, you know, to me, that was just like this kind of exhilarating validation that in itself, but then it gets crazier. But what did the stacked heads have to do with anything? I was like, I know Buddha doesn't have stacked heads. And I then Googled deity with many stacked heads. And the image that came up absolutely blew me away. It was this deity called Rahula. Okay. R-A-H-U-L-A for anyone who wants to look it up, Rahula. And what does Rahula look like? Rahula is this deity with many stacked heads, just in the way that I saw like five heads or so stacked up, but his lower half of the body looks like a snake and he's covered in eyeballs. Like I kid you not people like this was to say I like was speechless. I, I, I was in this room by myself Like nobody was there to observe. I was just like, what is happening? You know, I was like, what? Like I had never seen this deity, you know, Rahula. I'm, I'm sure many of you have never even heard of this being. It's like just an obscure deity. Like, unless you know what you're looking for, you're probably never going to run into it. 
Rahula, what? Snake body, eyeballs. Granted, there was no feathers in the head, but there was stacked heads, which is what I looked at, you know, which is where this association was coming from. I was like, what is going on? Because this is literally exactly what I just drew in this guy's sketchbook a few days ago. So then I go further into my search and I'm like, what does this have to do with Buddha and Siddhartha? So I Google Buddha, Siddhartha, Rahula. And Rahula is Siddhartha's son. So when Siddhartha was married, he had one son named Rahula and he abandoned his wife, abandoned his son and went off to seek enlightenment for many, many years and then came back as the Buddha. And Buddha didn't come back to claim his wife again and, and to be a father. Buddha was now Buddha. But what Buddha's ex-wife said to Rahula, which was his son, she said, go to your father and claim your inheritance which wasn't to be king, which wasn't to be rich, wealthy, and powerful. It was to claim the wisdom that he had gained. And so Rahula now is sort of this deity that, if I understand it right, is there to protect the teachings, to protect the wisdom. That's Rahula's role. And Rahula is like this half-snaked being with eyeballs all over it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I can't make this stuff up. I was just like, this is crazy, right? But going even further, so now let's just like say, I'm looking at this guy, what does this mean? What, what is the relevance of this guy that I saw this on the aura and I heard the word Siddhartha and I saw this deity appear in the sky all at the same time. And what does this Mayan Aztec feathered thing look like? So I'm looking up Mayan deities and there's a Mayan deity called Quetzalcoatl and Quetzalcoatl means the feathered serpent. And the depictions of Quetzalcoatl is like this snake guy with feathers. You know, it's like a snake with feathers on it, which is basically what I drew on this guy. Now, obviously, the Mayas are on one side of the world and the Buddhist Tibetan teachings are on the eastern side of the world. And so once again, this just goes to show that there is a thread of similarity between so many of these deities that appear in different cultures and somehow they're related. And so my interpretation of this is that this particular person I met was an expression of that deity. Is he Quetzalcoatl incarnate? Is he Rahula incarnate? I believe that he's an expression of those deities. And I just happen to have had the privilege to be able to see it. And what I later found out too about this particular person is that they uh, were heavily involved with the peyote church. They did many, many, many ceremonies. So they had been working on a very deep spiritual level for many, many years. And really to me, as I said before, and I'll say again, is that we are all these divine beings. It's just a matter of how many layers through many lifetimes have we blocked and locked ourselves into forgetting that this is who we are. And it feels correct that this guy has done deep, deep spiritual work, had removed a lot of these layers and had been more in alignment with his highest expression. And this is why I was able to see this on him. And it was also another validation and a key point along my journey to understand what deities are, how they manifest, what relationship do they have with us individually or collectively? So was he aware of it? Not until I probably told him, but he always did feel a strong alignment to the Mayas and the Mayan pyramids that, you know, 
And I think that's also a good point to make is that a lot of the times the ones that we are attracted to or drawn to are the ones that are speaking to us from a deeper space within our spirit, from that pure light of our divinity that is hidden beneath these layers of blocks and conditions and programs that we have adopted that are keeping us from remembering that we are divine, that we are powerful, that we are beautiful, that we are magic, you know? So the more layers that we can undo, the more that comes forward. And so that's one story there about a masculine God expressed through a male being. And then I just have one more other note. You know, for me, I really aligned with Christ energy, Christ consciousness. It's sort of like a deity or a supernatural energy that I can connect to and communicate with and use as an ally when I need, you know, for me, Christ energy, just like Kali energy and that divine feminine Christ energy has always been like a really amazing ally for me, especially when dealing with the dark stuff, the shadowy, you know, what I would consider demonic, dark, shadowy things. If I'm really feeling something that I need help with, I will call on that Christ energy. And and it has had a very instant effect. It's very powerful. And I get that a lot of people in the more new age path have been traumatized, have been warped by these very strict religious paths. It's sort of unfortunate to me to see because You know, these people have been sort of brainwashed and boxed into being God-fearing, wanting to engage with the Christ consciousness leaves sort of like a sour taste in their mouth or just so off-putting because there's so much sort of trauma in their life associated with it. I sort of sometimes wish that I could ask people to reintroduce yourself to Christ energy. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to preach it. You know, there's so many, there's so many qualities about that path that really put people off because it's, it it is kind of pushed on people so hard. And I definitely don't want to come off in that way, but I'm just saying it really works for me. And, and I don't think by moving into acknowledging deities and goddesses and gods and all these different cultures should omit you from exploring one of the most prominent spiritual paths. The interesting thing to note for even those who are sort of put off by the the Christ aspect is that Christ is very similar to other deities across the planet. Now, most people know the basic story of Christ, and that story of Christ mimics other male deities in many other cultures, like Horus from Egypt, Mithra from Persia, Krishna from India, and there's Dionysus and Addis from Greece. And these different deities, including Christ from different cultures from all over the world, share a lot of similar attributes. A lot of those share many, or at least some of these, that they were born of a virgin, they were born on December 25th, that there was a star in the east, that there were three kings that greeted their birth, that they became sort of a master teacher at a young age, that they had 12 disciples, that they were crucified, that they died and resurrected, and that they performed miracles. And this is the same storyline, the same code for different beings of different cultures. Now you'll look at Krishna and think, oh, that's a deity. And Horus, that's a deity. And then Christ is somehow boxed into this other place that you know, we're not allowed to look at Christ as though they're a deity, that they were this like man or this supreme divine being that walked along the earth. That it's just once again reiterating that, you know, if you don't want to look at it through, you know, a Christ connection, maybe there's something in the way of like you connecting more with that Vishnu energy or Horus energy or one of the other deities, but they are sort of all the same and represent the same thing. 
it's just being given a different face. It's been given a different surface expression. It's that the true essence of who they are and what they represent and what they can do for you is what's important and not like what the external superficial side of what it is like. So yeah, I wanted to acknowledge some of those more masculine aspects of the deities. That's great, Jude. I'm glad you brought that up. When I was in my psychic classes, we were asked to channel Jesus, to channel Christ energy. And I personally had a lot of negative emotions associated with Christianity from growing up and really did not want to do it. But I didn't want to start a big thing or do, you know, get in a big conversation in the middle of class about it. So I did. And it was one of the most emotional, purifying, high frequency channeling experiences I have ever had. And it had absolutely no dogma, religious connotation, Christian or otherwise at all. It was just an amazing experience. And in my channel, he spoke of being a man that was a healer and how his life, his goals, his purpose had been interpreted in many different ways, and that we should not allow that to get in the way of our connecting with him, which I wasn't expecting. It was really amazing and beautiful. And I see him as the divine source of healing. You know, when things go bad physically, when somebody I love is suffering with health issues, that's where I go. Because even beyond the abilities of the angelic realm, I feel like he is the divine healer and there's energy there that I cannot access elsewhere. So I'm really glad that you brought that up because it is taboo for a lot of people. And it was for me, you know, until like, you know, 15 years ago or 20 years ago. And me too. You know, the only spiritual path that I was ever exposed to was uh, Christianity or my mom did not take me to church or anything. She had no care for it. It was just something that was like in and around me. And I absolutely didn't believe it. I thought it was all BS. And uh, I had a really terrible childhood. So I was like, you know, I don't believe that if somebody's really all loving and this and that, that any of these things would happen to any of us. And this is, you know, I had this very embittered, like almost atheist straight up. Like, I don't believe in any of it. And, uh, I remember I didn't even believe in God, you know, or like a, a supreme consciousness, right? And that came first. And for me, uh, the Christ energy came. I was having these terrible riddling, this totally debilitating anxiety attacks. And I know other people, and I tell you this right now, that other people here are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. I was having these anxiety attacks where I would be in fetal position, just shaking in this terrible doom and gloom. And I would see like sort of like demonic energies like faces, like in front of me. And I hear this a lot from people that they get the same thing. It's sort of like they've been dropped into this much, much lower dimension. And this was happening to me a lot. Now let's say I was about 23 years old and, uh, I tried everything. I was praying to God. I was asking for mercy. I was, I was calling to everything. I didn't even know what I was calling to just to please give me some relief. Like, please stop this anxiety this idea of Christ, you know, and I had such resistance, just totally repelled, like almost like scowling, like, ugh, like almost wanting to like puke in my mouth a little bit, even thinking about trying to connect with this energy that I felt like sort of rubbed me the wrong way my whole life. And I was so desperate in this moment that I finally kind of let my guard down and let my blocks down and said, all right, Christ, Jesus, whoever you are, if you are real, if you're out there, like, please, you know, please help me. 
And instantaneously, it was like somebody had been sitting on my chest and they just got up and walked off me. And I like, <gasps> just sat up like instantaneously, totally clear. My shaking, my anxiety, the demonic imageries that I was seeing in front of my eyes went away instantaneously. And I was so shocked and I, that it worked so fast. I had been sitting there for hours and I still couldn't believe it. I was like, was that a coincidence? Was what was that? And so I said in that moment, that was miraculous. If this was real, I really need you to show yourself to me. I really need to see you and experience you in a bigger way. Please come visit me in my dream tonight. And if you come visit me in my dream tonight, I will know that you're real. And that night I had this dream that I was sitting in this classroom and there was this chalk drawing of the all seeing eye on the chalkboard. And there was this red dot in the middle of the eye. And there was this like demonic language being spoken out of this eye. And it was radiating out throughout the whole classroom. And it was so heavy and electrifying and toxic. Like it made me feel nauseous. It made me feel off center. And it was almost physically grueling to be in this room. And I'm looking around at everybody in the classroom and I'm like, hello, like, aren't you guys seeing this? Like, can we go please? Like everybody wake up, snap out of it. It was like, everybody was in this trance. And I literally had to crawl my way out of this room because it was such this oppressive, like this weighty energy being pushed down on me. And I get to the edge of the classroom and I walk out and immediately there's these two native Americans sitting there smudging me with these like feather wands as I'm walking out and they're smudging me off. And so I kind of take this breath and I stand up and I'm walking straight and I walk down this hall hallway. And I walked directly into a church and a church with like pews and the whole deal, you know, just like a classic church. And there was this table and there was a glass of water on it. And I walked up to the glass of water and I put my finger on it. And then I put a cross on my forehead and I fell to my knees and I saw and felt Christ in this way. And the best way I can describe it is that first of all, everything smelled like the sweetest vanilla I've ever smelled in my life. And I don't even think in any dream I've ever had, did I ever smell something with such clarity, but it smelled like the sweetest, like home baked cake, deliciousness of vanilla. And then this Christ energy like hugged me and it was in me and all around me. And it felt like my best friend and it felt like my brother. And it felt like somebody I knew better than I even knew myself. And I loved this person just as much as they loved me. It was like this most insanely, like incredible, comforting, beautiful, like they weren't superior to me. You know what I mean? Like they were they were the same as me and loved me as an equal, you know? It was like this most incredible feeling. And then I woke up and I knew I was like, to this day, that was probably one of the most powerful dreams, like top five powerful dreams of my life, especially because I asked the night before if I could have that. And to be honest with you, I got like super obsessed with vanilla <laughs> for like a year, like vanilla incense, vanilla oils, vanilla perfume, the whole deal. I wanted it around me all the time because of this dream, but it was that experience that, um, kind of invoked me working with this energy and, and it's as much, if not more than any other deity or goddess or God that I work with, I really align with the Christ energy. Wow, Jude, I have goosebumps. That's so, so beautiful. I kind of feel like this is a good place to end. Like, how can we top that story? That was Aww. amazing. 
Well, you know, I just want everybody to know that there are no limits. And, and just because you've had one path doesn't mean you have to block that in order to embrace another. Like, this is a multidimensional reality. We have lived many incarnations of many lives of many cultures. You are so much deeper than this expression in this physical body of how you were raised and where you were raised. Trust me, you have been all the things. We are all one. We are all the things. So don't limit yourself. Be open to all of it and explore. And as I said, like the more we release these blocks, the more we release these limitations that is trying to tell us that we're not miraculous beings, the more you are going to remember your divinity and who you are and align yourself more to your God, goddess, deity path. I hope that this was a very enlightening podcast for all of you. And I wish you just like pure joy on your journey, moving forward, exploring different spiritual allies. Yes, and, and know that you have access to miracles and magic beyond you and within you. Thank you so much for joining us today and for all of your wonderful donations and all of the wonderful messages and comments and five stars that you've been giving us. We really appreciate it. And if you would like to learn a little bit more about what Jude and I are doing outside of Spirit Speakers Podcast or connect a little bit deeper with us, you can find us at Spirit Speakers Podcast on Instagram and have access to Spirit Speakers information and our personal information through spiritspeakers.com. Until next time. Aloha. Take care.